This story starts in Washington, D.C., on a warm summer night. There were eight friends gathered around a backyard dinner table. They were toasting family and friendship, and everybody was having a good time. Kind of one of those great evenings. Lots of awesome food and French wine. and It was, it was like a magical night. That's Michael Rabdo. He was there with his wife and his 14-year-old daughter, Kyber, when it happened. I was standing beside my wife, and I just saw this arm with a long barrel gun come between us. It was as if in slow motion, this hand, and then it just got really quiet. He raised the gun and held it first to the head of Michael's friend, Christina, and then to the head of Michael's wife. Then he said, Give me your money. That's Kyber, Michael's daughter. Kept repeating, give me your money. But there was a problem. No one had any money. So they started talking, grasping for some way to dissuade the man. They started with guilt. What would your mother... What would your mother think of you? And he said something like, I don't have a mother. Michael remembers thinking, this is headed towards a very bad end. Someone was going to get hurt. But then one of the women at the table, this woman, Christina, pipes up. She has an offer for the man. Said, you know, we're here celebrating. Why don't you have a glass of wine? It was like a switch. He could feel the difference. All of a sudden, Michael says, the look on the man's face changed. And he tasted the wine and just said, that's a really good glass of wine. We had some cheese there, too. And so he he reached down for the cheese, and then um, he put the gun in his pocket. The man drank his wine, ate his cheese, and then he said something that no one expected. I think I've come to the wrong place. And we were all like, hey, I don't understand. For a moment, they all sat there together. And then he said something just so strange. He just said, can we have a group hug? And so everyone got up and formed a circle around the man. I can't tell you how strange that was, but we all did come around him and hug him. And um, he said he was sorry, and he walked out with a glass of wine out the gate. At the time, all they could think to do was run into the house and cry in gratitude. It was like a miracle. Later that evening, after everything had calmed down, they would find the glass neatly placed on the sidewalk by their alley. Not thrown, not carelessly discarded, placed. You know, before we dive in, can you help me welcome everybody at Arvada, Littleton, Lakewood, um, Evergreen, and all those at our God Behind Bars campus. Um, We're so glad you guys are with us. And um, let me say two things. One, we're indebted and grateful. This story is from a group called Invisibilia, and so we're grateful for the story. And I'm particularly indebted to a friend and a teaching pastor of mine, a guy named Mike Bro, in this particular talk. Now, this story, I heard this story on the radio about four weeks ago. So I was driving daily, our oldest daughter. We were halfway through the desert on the way to California, and everybody in the car was asleep, and this show came on, and I was absolutely transfixed to the story. 
And it wasn't just during the story. You know, it was definitely sort of a lean forward moment. But I found myself over the last four weeks thinking about this story, like really thinking about it for, for a couple reasons. Um, the first is, is that honestly, that is not what I expected was going to happen in that story. Anybody else? I did not see the wine and cheese thing coming. I mean, because honestly, like if you go to a self-defense class, I don't think that there is a wine and cheese counter move that you're taught, you know? Like I didn't see that one coming. But, but the other thing that sort of struck me that I've been thinking about over the last few weeks, I've been thinking, okay, Eric, like if you were in that situation, what would you do? Like if you find yourself in a situation like that, what are you supposed to do, right? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're asking yourself that question, okay, what am I supposed to do? Have you? Of course you have, right? Because all of us have started a new job. All of us have gone to school, the first day of school. Some of us have gone on a first date or gotten married. Have you had children? Yeah, don't tell me that first moment. The day we had daily 20 years ago and they let me go home with her, I was shocked. I'm like, I'm 24. Why are you letting me go home with this baby? And it was funny. This sort of is exemplifies one of those moments, like, what are we supposed to do? So Sean and BZ, this was 20 years ago. So they were over at my house because they had nothing better to do. They were literally one step away from, like, being hobos. They were at my house. We were playing video games. And Daly was, like, nine months old. She just started walking. She's cruising around the room. And, of course, we're paying way more attention to what... 24-year-old boys pay attention to what's going on, you know, Madden football. When she comes storming in, I don't even see her. She trips, and I'm not kidding. She hits her head so hard on the coffee table that Sean will tell you to this day, like, he still hears it. Like, it was like, boom, and she flipped over, and we all froze. And they both look at me like, what are we supposed to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Uh. And we turned her over, and, and she wasn't crying, and, and she, she wasn't bleeding. And so I said, well, I guess we could start by not telling Chrissy. <laughs> uh, see, life, life pre- pre- presents us with a lot of those, like, what am I supposed to do moments? Like moments where we have to make decisions that matter. And maybe, like, it won't be at gunpoint. But oftentimes the decisions that we have to make They do involve other people, right? And they do matter. Like, what we choose to do, it matters, especially if we're Christians. Like, if we're followers of Jesus, it matters what we do in restaurants, in schools, where we work, in our neighborhoods, if we're good workers, students, husbands, wives. Make no mistake. Look, Jesus wants to shape the way that we live, the way that we respond. And our faith, honestly, look, our faith should do more than just sort of like, I don't know, inform a little bit our decisions. Our faith should guide and direct the decisions that we make. Now, I'm learning that to live in love like Jesus, it just doesn't happen accidentally. It just doesn't. So much of what Jesus teaches is so counter to how I sort of intuitively think. And I'm telling you, it is a counter to the way the rest of the world teaches how we should respond. So this is the question we're going to look at this day. 
How do we order our lives in such a way that my responses, they're not accidental? In small moments like driving to school or standing in line at a grocery store to the arguments with my kids or my wife or my coworker to the big ones getting held up in your backyard, heaven forbid, how do we learn to respond like Jesus? Now, um, the very first sermon that Jesus ever gives, it's been called the greatest sermon ever written, and he lays out the answer to this question. Like, what are we supposed to do? Once we've given our life to Jesus, what are we supposed to do in this life? And in the process, bring satisfaction and fulfillment into our lives. This is like the real wine and cheese stuff, right? And Jesus lays it out this way. Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can pull it out. You can turn to Matthew. If you don't know where Matthew is, it's sort of like bust the Bible halfway open and then just barely go over to your right. I promise you'll find it. It's right there. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to come on the screen. Matthew chapter 5. This is what, the, this is what Scripture says. It says, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me, let me say something about what we're about to do. What Jesus teaches, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. Like I said, greatest sermon ever written. This is not an accident. What Jesus is about to say is not like Jesus happened to be on a mountain, and he didn't know he was going to teach, and he left his notes in the boat, and so he's like, oh, what am I going to say? No, no. What he's about to tell us is real important. He knew what he was about to tell us. So, here's what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so Jesus says, if you want to start knowing what you're supposed to do, here's where you start. One, blessed is the poor in spirit. So let's break that down. Poor in spirit. We don't, we don't say poor in spirit much. So, okay, let's start with poor. Like, if I were to say poor, you probably have some words that come to your mind, right? Like bankrupt or busted or destitute or out of money, right? Poor. Poor. Now, add that to spirit, and you get sort of like Jesus saying, happy are you when you're spiritually busted. Even better, it's like when you look at God and you realize that you're bankrupt, like that you don't have all the answers. In fact, you realize, I don't have any of the answers. Like, I'm bankrupt. This is where you have to start. Jesus is saying, look, you're blessed. If you want to know how to live in love with me, like me, you are blessed. You start with realizing that you're spiritually busted. A word we throw around a lot is that you're lost. You ever been lost? Anybody ever been truly, truly lost? Isn't it a horrible feeling to be really lost? So two years ago, Sean and I, we went to Israel. We filmed some stuff for an Easter service, and he was the talent, so I ended up being the chauffeur. But it was kind of cool. I felt like Jason Bourne. I was in this little car, and we were cruising around Jerusalem. We had like Two days to get to a million different spots. And so at, on the second day, we were, we were sitting on one ridge, and we needed to get down to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was way on the other side. And for some reason, you know, like the map on our phone didn't work. 
And so we're like, we got to go that way. We had a guide with us, and he starts trying to play with his phone, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to go that way. Like, if it's over there, I'm going to go that way. So I whip the car around the corner, down a road, into this valley, and I'm not kidding. In about 60 seconds, the guy who was our, to our guide, he was not paying attention. All of a sudden, we all look up, and we realize we are not where we should be, period. Like, the road got real narrow, turns into dirt, and then we pass a burned out car. And I swallow real hard. I'm like, oh, probably not a big deal. So I look over at our guide and I said, hey, um, you've been down here, right? We're not lost. You've been through here. He looks back at me really slow and he goes, I have never been down here. I was like, but then you probably don't know how to get out, huh? (laughs) Our phones weren't working. There was a line of traffic, like cars behind us, narrow, narrow road. We didn't know which way to go. And I can tell you in that moment, there was like this sense of like internal panic. Like, I I can't do anything. Like, there's nothing I can do. I can't get out of this. I think this is what Jesus is saying. Like, we're blessed. When we have a moment in our lives when we realize I can't do anything. I can't pull myself out of this. And that this is where we start, like when we realize we're lost. You know, when you're lost, pride just goes away. Like when you're really lost, pride goes away. It melts. And when it comes to the spiritual sense, when you realize you're lost, you realize, man, I am in desperate need of a savior. Jesus says, this is where it starts. If you wanna know what you're supposed to do, Starts with just realizing you're spiritually busted. And then he goes on, he says this. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Now, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying blessed are happy. First, those that realize that they're spiritually bankrupt and lost. But secondly, those that somehow can figure out how to take that head knowledge of like I'm lost and let it hit their heart where you mourn over the fact that you're lost. Psalm 51 says it this way. It says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Like Jesus is saying, look, a good place, a good place to be is when the sin in your life, it absolutely breaks your heart. It goes from your head and your heart gets soft and you realize, yeah, I'm lost. And then it does something inside your heart and you go, I'm lost. Like your sin breaks your heart. Have you ever had heartbreak? I bet you have. I bet most of us have had heartbreak at some level, sometime in our life. I bet you remember it. I bet if you had to write down first time you had your heart broken, I bet you could. I bet you could tell us when it was, who it was, what it was. See, that's what heartbreak does. Like, you remember it. It becomes like it's deep in you, and Jesus is saying, like, we're blessed. When we realize we're lost, and then our heart is broken. And then he says this. He said, you're blessed. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Now, when we hear meek in our culture, I think because we sort of have a masculine culture, we think what Jesus is saying is blessed when you're a wimp, 
But this isn't what Jesus is saying at all. Actually, if you look at this word and you translate it, what Jesus is actually getting at is he's saying it literally means, meek, to be teachable, to not be a know-it-all. So, so think about it. Jesus says, if you want to know what you're supposed to do in every situation, if you want to learn to live and love like me, one, realize you're lost. Two, let your heart be broken for that. Three, give me full control. Give me full control. That's what meekness means, just giving it all to Jesus. Because here's the truth. He's the only one who can help anyway, right? Like, he's the only one who can lead and direct your path. This is the essence of that country song. Jesus, take the wheel. This is it. Meekness is Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus is saying to us, look, okay, great. You realize you're lost and your heart is broken about it. Now, don't make this mistake. Don't try to fix it yourself. Look, realize this. This is true of me and it's true of you. You got you into this mess. And you aren't going to get you out of this mess because if you could get you out of this mess, you would have already gotten you out of this mess. Mike Bro says it this way. He says, look, self can't help self. And yet, the biggest selling genre of books in the United States is self-help. You know, it's a $10 billion industry. But if this is what Jesus had in mind, like, oh, just realize you're lost, be sad about it, and then go fix it yourself, he would have just sent you a Barnes & Noble card, sent you on your way. You could go get a book and do it yourself. This isn't what he had in mind. Jesus is saying, no, give me the wheel. I'll fix this. And then he says this, and, and this one's huge. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be feel, filled. I, I like the way that the message paraphrase sort of says this verse. It says, you're blessed when you work up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you've ever had. You know, I run, a, I run across people all the time. I've had these moments myself, my guess is you have too, where you've accepted Jesus, you've had a moment with Jesus, and you absolutely believe what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, that we're, we're, if anybody's in Christ, we're new creations, right? The old is gone. The new is here. Like, we believe this. But haven't you ever had a moment too where you've walked away from one of those moments and like one day or one week or one month or one bad moment or one road rage or one argument, and you're like, I'm not any different. I'm the same old person I've always been. I don't feel like a new creation. I feel like the same old creation I've always been. Well, there's a reason why. And the best way I can think about explaining this and what Jesus is getting after is, um, I've told this story before, but I, have a, I had a neighbor in Rockford, and um, his name was Al. And Al loved to mow his lawn. Like, he loved mowing his lawn. He had, like, this awesome John Deere, this beautiful green tractor, um, and he had a really nice front yard. And Al, for 20 years, had gone out two times a week, rain or shine, and he mowed that lawn. And Al would mow that lawn in the exact same pattern he had always mowed the lawn. 20 years. I'm not kidding. If you walked in Al's lawn, you see the pattern. It is like embedded in his lawn. He could turn that lawn mower on and get off of it, and it would just like mow the lawn. Brrr. Right? These ruts. 
Okay, now think about that. See, this is how our minds work. We create patterns of thinking. Think about how long before you knew Jesus, you were who you were. Think about how long you were trained to think a particular way. Whatever that way of thinking is. Like, you create these ruts of thinking, and those just don't go away by accident. Yes, you're a new creation, but this is why the Apostle Paul says we have to renew our minds, like every single day. And what Jesus is getting at in this verse is he's saying, look, you've got to build a hunger for me and my word. You've got to learn how to spend time with me. You have to be willing day in and day out when we don't feel like it, when you don't feel like a new creation, when you're facing thoughts that are debilitating and dominating your existence to tell yourself the truth, as it says in God's word about you and the situation you're in. And you've got to create new tracks, new ways of thinking. See, Jesus is saying, start this way. Start with knowing you're lost. Be sorrowful for your sin. Give me the wheel and then spend time with me. Now, now pause for a second there. You notice anything about the first four things that Jesus says when he lays out sort of how do you live and love like me? How do you move towards doing what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus? Do you notice that all four of these things are all internal issues, right? Like Jesus starts with heart issues. Like this is how we have to get our heart settled. But Jesus doesn't leave him there. He picks up from heart issues, and he says, all right, God, know you're lost. Let it break your heart. Give me the wheel. Spend time with me now. What do you go and do? First thing he says is blessed are those. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus says, all right, here's how we start. You start with mercy. Now, on the surface, this may not seem countercultural, but this concept of mercy really is a countercultural concept because the way most of the world works, and if we're honest, sometimes it can be in us, we're fine with mercy for us. I love mercy for me. I want all kinds of mercy, but I want judgment for the dumb people. Anybody else, right? Like when I'm driving five miles over the speed limit, I do not deserve that ticket. But if he's driving five miles an hour and he gets pulled over, there's a little part of me that secretly rejoices on the way about. I'm like, yeah, go get him, right? Mercy for me. Judgment for everybody else. This is our culture. And yet Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not how my kingdom works. You can go back to the Mishnah, which is, It was written, um, recorded sometime after Jesus, but they are parables from Jesus' time. And one of the the Proverbs within the Mishnah, they talk about learning to judge favorably those around you, right? Look, this is the truth about us. We have like these scales inside of us. I, I have scales, and every day, I'm passing judgment on the people that come by. And I've found that when I tip the scales in favor of me, like, and it's mercy for me and judgment for everybody else, I tend to be harsh and I tend to be judgmental and resentful and egotistical and angry. That's just, that's just who I am. I don't like it. 
But I also have found that if I really take this to heart and I tip the scales in favor of other people, that it's a game changer for me. I love the way Titus 3 says this. The message writes it in a really just clear way. Titus 3, 2 says, look, no insults, no fights. God's people, like us, we should be big-hearted, courteous. It wasn't that so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dopes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. Yeah. I heard this quote this week. Be confident because you're a child of God, but be humble because everybody else is too. So what is Jesus saying? It's, you could break it down simply. Here it is. Eric, I love you. And that should make it so that you can look at everybody else and say, I love you too. Being able to look at somebody and says, I love you because he loves me. I love you because he loves me. Mercy for you because he gave it to me. Undeserved mercy for you because I got undeserved mercy. That's it. Jesus says mercy. And then he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. The pure in heart. Now, be careful with this one, because I think there's a temptation. As soon as we see pure, we wonder if Jesus might be saying perfect in heart, and he's not, because you can't do perfect. There is no perfect in heart. In fact, we're all sinners saved by grace. We say this all the time here. We're just a bunch of messed up people pursuing a perfect God, right? So I, one of my favorite theologians, authors, thinkers, is a gentleman named Dallas Willard, and I heard him one time talk about like saints, people who are Christ followers. He said, oh, don't, don't you think that it's the sinners, you know, the people who don't come to church that need grace. Saints burn grace like rockets burn rocket fuel. Like we need that, right? We need grace. We can't be perfect. I, I think what Jesus is trying to get at here is not about perfection, when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, I think he's saying, look, stop pretending. Stop hiding. Quit wearing masks. What is it about church that we feel like we got to come in the door of the church and we've got to have it figured out? You don't. Quit wearing a mask. Quit pretending with God. Quit pretending here. Be who you are. And that might mean that you kind of like be honest about what's going on inside you. And I don't like that any more than anybody else. It is no fun sometimes to be honest about who you really are. But God's going, no, no, oh, be authentic. And, and you know why I think this matters just as much as mercy? It's because we live in a plastic world. We live in a world that is hungry for authenticity, not perfection, but something real. And Jesus is saying, just be real. Quit faking it. Don't try to cover it up. Stop hiding. Take your mask off. And let me, let me say just to my, my men friends, this can be hard for us because it's easy for us to put on the mask of provider, the mask of husband, the mask of worker, and then we never really get close to any other dudes. And what we do is we sit around. What we do, we talk about the Broncos, and that's important. That is, it's important. But that's all we talk about, right? We never have heart-to-hearts about like what's going on in our life, what's wrecking us, 
what's going on at work, how I'm struggling as a husband. Men, men, Jesus is saying, hey, if, if you want to know how you're supposed to live, hey, drop the mask, dudes. Drop the mask. Get real. And get real with some other guys that know Jesus. Then Jesus moves on and he said, blessed or blessed are the peacemakers. And I think this one is probably one of the most straightforward. Mike Bro, my friend, puts it this way. He said, there's two types of people. You walk in a room and either you're a thermometer or you're a thermostat. A thermometer just tells you the temperature of the room. A thermostat changes it. And I bet you know some thermostats. I bet you know some people who walk in the room and they genuinely, there's a, a sweetness about their spirit, a kindness in their tone of voice that they set the, the mood of any room. And it doesn't matter if that room is hostile. They can change a hostile room into just like a bunch of lambs in a second. I know a friend like that, a friend of mine, his name's Casey. And I was thinking back as I was processing this message, if I'd ever in my life seen him react to someone in a way that wasn't God-honoring, and I honestly... I don't think I ever had. I've, I've known him since he was 17. Every room he walks into, it's as if he prayed up before we went and he's saying, Jesus, help me make a difference with this person in their life right now. Like they matter, whatever it is, even if the person on the other side doesn't like him. It's hard not to like somebody who loves you. It's hard. I mean, you can do it, but it's hard, right? Jesus said, hey, you want to know what to do? You know what you're supposed to do? Be a peacemaker. And then he ends it this way. And I think he caps it this way to help us understand what he just laid out for us. He says, now listen, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look, let me just tell you, sometimes, sometimes, people will not know how to handle you when you respond the way Jesus asks us to respond. They won't. When you respond with integrity and honesty, when you're not willing to cut corners or cheat or fudge numbers to repay an insult with an insult, students, when you don't go out and do what other students do and you're not partying and sleeping around, I'm telling you, sometimes people will not know how to handle that. Because when we go against the flow, and let's be honest, what Jesus taught is against the flow. When you respond counterculturally, sometimes you're going to experience rejection. People aren't going to get it. People aren't going to understand. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You have to do it this way. Because if culture was fine, if culture wasn't broken, if culture was the way we needed to go, then really none of this really matters. But I think we can look around and go, man, most of us have experienced it. I don't want to live that way. And there's a bunch of people who need to see a different way, and they see it through us. Don't be afraid. And the truth is, in my life, I've thought about this. I've never really been persecuted. I've had some people make fun of me or some people who didn't understand but about 10 years ago, I got to see, oh, what does it look like when you go countercultural for real? Um, I got to go to China. I went with three friends, and we went to Beijing. We ended up about four hours south in a university town. And um, we went to a secret Bible study that was at one of the, at this campus. There were two 
um, TAs who had come to Jesus, and there were four students, 19-year-old Chinese students who were sitting in this Bible study. Well, we came in on the last night of a four-week, uh, eight-week study, and it was cool. It was very, very, like, tense, and I'll explain why in a minute, but at the end of the session, they presented these kids. They've been walking them through all of Jesus' teaching. Every, and these kids have never heard about Jesus. Like, I'm talking about not sort of nothing. Never heard about Jesus. No idea. And so they get to the end, and they're like, do you want to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? I mean, it was like, yes, yes, boom, 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 boom. Yes, all four. Boom. Praise with them. They all come to Jesus. I mean, amazing. And then the two TAs say, okay, now we've, we've got to leave. And it was cool, total side note, but it stuck with me. It's stuck with me my whole life. One of the kids, and he said it in broken English. He's like, no, I don't want to go. I want to hear more about this Jesus and his magic. And I know you go, well, magic? Yeah. If for the first time in your life you found out you get heaven forever, you're forgiven of your sins even though you can't even earn it. I mean, that's pretty magical, right? Well, they leave and um, this is what blew me away. Those two TAs had been meeting for the last eight weeks. Eight weeks previous, there had been a giant bust in the underground church there in, in uh, that region in China. And some of their colleagues, professors, were dragged to jail and beaten up and questioned. And, and what the natural response would be is, okay, well, let's just call a timeout. Those, we'll call a timeout when it's sort of, these, not these two, uh-uh, no. They kept meeting. They weren't going to stop meeting. And because they were kept meeting, there's four kids that are going to stand with Jesus one day. And I don't know if they just kept meeting, but here's what I did walk away with. I went, these guys get it, man. And, and I want to be like that. Like, I want to be in any situation, say, All right, bring it on. Like, I want to respond in any situation, bring it on. I want to live and I want to love like Jesus. And my guess is the reason why you come here week in and week out is because you do too. This is what we're called to do. This is what we're supposed to do. The reality is when I heard that story, you know, it made me think of Jesus. Like Jesus' way, that is like biblical, the wine and cheese of that story, right? It doesn't always make sense. It flies in the face of what you would expect sometimes. And I think that's why this story captures us in a lot of ways, because you go, it was a miracle. Yeah, it was a miracle. They weren't shot. They weren't killed. And, and I don't know. Look, I don't know if the people in this story were followers of Jesus or not. But I do know what caught, catches your attention is when someone does something you just don't expect. That flies in the face of what culture says you ought to do. And make no mistake, the world has attitudes too. We have the be attitudes, but they have attitudes too. If I were summing it up, I'd say something like this. Like the way culture sort of lays it out is blessed are the self-confident. Blessed are the positive thinkers. Blessed are the cocky and assertive. Blessed are those who hunger for fame and are vengeful. Blessed are the impure. Blessed are those who beat their opponents and blessed are the popular. And that, that is a way to live. It, it is. Some of us in here have tried it. But that's not Jesus' way. 
If you want a different life, if you want one that's blessed and fulfilled and makes a difference, Jesus says, here's what you're supposed to do. And the rest of the world, they might think we're crazy. I mean, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that appears right, but in the end leads to death. But Jesus says in John 10, 10, he said, look, I have a way. And I'm here to give you life. And life that just flows from your insides. This is the way of Jesus. Look, if you come here and this is your first time at Red Rocks and you don't know Jesus and you go, man, I'd like to learn a different way to live. We have people in the back like after the service that want to pray with you and they'll walk you through that. But I want to talk to those who do know Jesus and I want to challenge you. And I don't know what this looks like. Maybe for you, you write these concepts down somewhere and you put them somewhere where you're reminded every single day what it means to learn to live and love like Jesus. That you gotta get your heart right first. That starts by knowing you're lost, that you were lost. Hey, it's all right to remember how lost you were to be sad about the sin that you have, to continue daily going, all right, in this day, Jesus, you get me, you get me, you get all of me. And for us in that day to hunger for him. And then remind yourself every day, how can I show how much I love somebody because of how much he loves me? How can I do that today? How can I be a peacemaker in my world? How can I walk into rooms and be a thermostat and not a thermometer? How can I be authentic in a plastic world? And remind myself, in all things, I just gotta keep swimming upstream. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. No matter what people say or do, look, Red Rocks, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what we're supposed to do. And then watch what happens. Miracles, transformation, life change. This is what Jesus had in mind. Let's pray. God, give us courage. Give my friends, give me courage to walk in your light, to take your word in our heart. God, will you give us just strength to be authentic, God, remind us of how lost we were before you. God, help us pass mercy on in a measure that's at least equal to the portion you've passed to us. May we be peacemakers. And God, remind us, hey, just keep swimming upstream. Keep swimming upstream. And God, we will give you all the glory for whatever life change happens because we absolutely take you for your word and learn to live in love like you. We praise these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand and let's, um, let's worship together.